Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the seventh episode of season four of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalog song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. I thought I'd try that intro bit that I do in an American radio DJ voice. What do you think? No? Oh, really? Nah, okay. Well, I won't do it again. Okay, sorry. Um, before we dig into this week's episode, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a few listeners who are super supportive of the podcast. Um, if I miss you this week, don't turn on me. Don't think I don't appreciate you. Um, I'm just picking off a few names that stand out for now. Uh, so on Twitter, a big thanks to American Girl, uh, at Tom Petty for me, uh, Mary Beth Donnelly, uh, at Denny and Crom, uh, Lisa K. Pennington, Antisocial, which is at Antisocial76, um, Umrami, Moni Srish, I'm pronouncing that right, and Viola Wildflower Forever, at Viola1671. Um, on Facebook, thanks so much to Cheryl Blackier. I'm sorry again if I've mispronounced that. Bob Reedy. Carol Rosenberg Shapiro, Laura Jean, Rose Hartley Grass, uh, Janet Massa Lovell, who I'm determined to stump on my petty trivia questions, uh, Vicky Morrison, Shannon Kinzel, uh, Edwin Shoemaker, Paul Roberts, my favorite dog on the run, uh, Craig Robertson, and Edie Lott. And on Instagram, a big thanks to at the Rushton, and again, at Lisa Kelly Pennington, who tries to guess my ratings each week. She almost always guesses correctly too, which I find super cool. I really appreciate all of your feedback and your support more than I can really express, and I don't take it for granted for a second. As I've said lots, this is a pure passion project for me, and connecting with so many fantastic people all over the world has been an unexpected, fabulous part of this journey. So, now that that loving is out of the way, today's episode covers the second track from side two of Hard Promises, A Thing About You. Head over to the episode notes for a link to the song if you want to listen to it before we dig in, and I'll catch you once you're back. I'll see you soon. Tom Petty fans always recognise that outside the truly staggering number of hits that Tom wrote, there are many more buried treasures that we can all unearth and play for the uninitiated. A Thing About You is another one of those tracks that falls into this category, I think. Um, I, I talked about, maybe even in the last few episodes, that a lot of songwriters will write music first and then lyrics afterwards. My best friend, who's a fantastic songwriter, sometimes will have an entire song written musically with no lyrics at all and no idea what those lyrics might be. And this track strikes me as one of those. It's such an intricately guitar-driven song structured over a really simple chord progression that my suspicion is that this was one that Tom would have brought into the studio, you know, basically fully cooked and then jammed with the band to get the arrangement figured out before adding the lyrics. It's also another shining example of the way Tom and Mike played complementary guitar parts. And in conversations with Tom Petty, Paul Zola remarks on this saying that Mike said he loved the interplay of your two guitars. Tom responds by saying, that's typical of us, how we would play live, how we would listen to each other and fill in each other's gaps. So this is why I think this would have been a track that was jammed out in the studio to get the arrangement down and recorded to some degree before Tom went away and maybe wrote the lyrics afterwards and then came back and did the vocals. So let's start off by talking about the guitar parts in this song as that's where the real payoff is. 
The two parts are panned left and right, but not quite as hard as they were on the first two albums, just enough to separate them when you're listening under headphones. Tom's rhythm section is sumptuously simple and direct, with Mike adding in the heavily country-inspired licks. It's similar in this regard to songs like Century City from Down the Torpedoes and the Hard Promises side one closer, King's Road. You're getting lots of sustain on the open chords to keep that jangling heartbeat of the chord progression alive, while the percussive undercurrent is kept chugging along in that secondary part. The pace of the song through the first two verse-chorus pairs is pretty unrelenting and leaves you sort of gasping for air a little. This pace holds up until the minute and a half mark, at which point we break into the bridge. And again, here we get a key change and a brief switch to halftime, which gives you a sort of a, you know, a little bit of a pause, which you know isn't going to last before Tom screams us back into the solo. And that solo, it's not really a virtuosic shredding solo, but another balance interchange between Tom and Mike to build the song into the chorus and then back out into the outro. We're then given a complete curveball. Where the two songs I mentioned earlier, you know, King's Road and Century City, would build into a real crescendo into the outro with a repeated progression from the chorus, a thing about you instead drops us into that halftime dialed back ending. It's a left turn that you don't really see coming and adds a dimension to the song that often became an extended jam when played live with Mike and Benmont trading off licks while Tom would entertain the crowd with his shoulder boogie and his devilish grin. This performative flexibility with a song like this is one of the hallmarks of what made the Heartbreakers one of the best live rock and roll acts of all time. Tom tells Paul Zolo, we're really lucky to have Mike because that's a really precious thing when you get two people who can play together and create a sound. And we always make a certain sound together. And though this song may not strike you as the best example of this, it's one that really hits home for me. If you're a regular listener, you'll know by this point that I'm a huge admirer of Stan Lynch. Before I started this podcast, there's a good chance that I'd have said, yeah, Tom Petty was a master songwriter, but drum-wise, most of the songs are really easy to play. And I simply couldn't have been more wrong. Through the first 20 seconds of this one, listen to Stan's kick drum pattern. In the fourth of every four bars, he comes off beat for a measure every time, just to add a little variety into what he's playing. The song wouldn't suffer at all if he'd stuck, you know, Phil Rudd like to the exact same kick pattern, but those little syncopated rhythms add a certain swing to the song. Again, they put the role in the rock and roll. Stan was superb at this. Uh, when he's filling, it's mainly on the snare, and with these train rail straight rockers, that type of decision really helps keep up the breakneck pace of the song. And then we head into the bridge. This is where Stan switches to the toms on his fills and adds a little bit of that shake, rattle, and roll. He also switches from the hats to the ride in this section. You know, it's, again, that's fairly standard, and it just widens out that treble space in the drums and gives a little bit of suspension to this section. But again, it's fairly on the beat rather than sitting behind it to keep that one, two, three, four tempo just crashing along. You know, during the solo, he starts washing the crash cymbals, so you get that high-range wall of sound, and he adds in a couple of dropped syncopated kick notes, which again, just it differentiates that groove from what's been there before. And this is in counterpoint completely to the sort of relentless driving lead line on the guitars. It's always kind of weird to me that Ron Blair left the Heartbreakers right at the end or toward the conclusion of this record, because it's by far the groove-heaviest collection of songs that they'd put out to this point. And Ron has a lot of scope in this song to walk all over that progression, sticking you know, to the root notes in the verses and then climbing and sliding through the scales during the chorus. And it's all complementary to Mike's big bends and, and it sticks religiously on that kick pattern that Stan's laying down. And, you know, it's incredibly cool. 
I always think the bass guitar might well be the most underrated part of any band or any podcast, for that matter. And Ron Blair is most definitely an underappreciated player, probably because he was playing in a band with so many characters and he didn't necessarily need or want to be the shining star. But listen to the way that he drops in and out of the bridge and then sidles his way lazily through that outro. That's all blues feel and timing coming off the main kick pattern and filling in the half notes. Absolutely delicious. The last thing we have to talk about before we focus on the vocals and the lyrics is Monsieur Tench's organ part. There's not a ton of piano on this record overall, but again, Jimmy Iovine finds the gold in Benmont's organ lines, bringing them forward in the mix when Tom's vocals or Mike's lead drops out. And for an example, just you know, listen to that blistering fill that Ben plays after the line, Lovers hold each other tight in the second verse. It's mixed up high and the Leslie is in full voice as he holds the root and alternates between the fifth and fourth notes. For the most part, that organ track is again just providing width in the song without driving the melody. It just sounds bigger and when it's brought up in the mix, it's to transition back up to the high tempo. Listen to the solo. There's plenty of Ben Mont in there, but it's backed off to give the focus to the guitar. Great playing, great production. Okay, folks, it's time once again for some petty trivia. Now, last week's question was this. Gainesville is the birthplace of several Hall of Fame musicians, but can you tell me which founding member of the Eagles was born in Tom's hometown? The answer is... Ha-ha! It was a trick question. I was feeling tricksy last week and decided to throw a curveball to see who I could catch out. So... Don Felder, who was mentioned a few times on social media, was born in Gainesville in 1947, but joined the band later on in the recording sessions for their third album, On the Border. Felder was an old friend of founding member uh, Bernie Ledden, who recommended him to the band. And Ledden is also the other eagle commonly associated with Gainesville, but was actually born in Minneapolis, also in 1947, before his family moved to Florida. He would eventually graduate from Gainesville High School and was an important member of the local music scene during Tom's formative musical years. So the answer to the question is that none of the Eagles' founding members were born in Gainesville. So well done if you got that. Your question for this week is this. In which of the following countries did the Heartbreakers never play a gig? Belgium? Spain? Germany? Or France? Okay, back to the song. Vocally, this is another blistering, attack-heavy vocal from Tom, where he's hitting his high register hard during the choruses and belting out those screams from time to time. His delivery on this song reminds me of the raw talent of, you know, Fooled Again or Hurt from those first two albums, but it's harnessed and refined by a student who is taking his work very seriously. It's a relatively easy song to sing in terms of range, but it's also incredibly difficult to try to mimic Tom's intonation and the change-ups in energy. He was a true master at never being boring vocally. Lyrically, it's a pretty straightforward song, 
as I mentioned at the top, I think this was a, a melody waiting for a lyric, and Tom being the wordsmith he was, he probably could have written, you know, two or three dozen different lyrics that would have worked. I Got a Thing About You is a pretty fun, it's kind of high school note-passing phrase to use, but you can definitely hang a song around it. And as with Letting You Go, Tom throws in a bunch of extra syllables in this one in the chorus, you know, baby, let me tell you I got a thing about you. Doesn't really fit unless you hurry those uh, syllables. You have to sing them in a very specific way to get the lines in properly. But it's another one of the few songs that doesn't have a holy crap line in it, to me at least. But it doesn't really matter because this song could have any lyric in it and it would be carried by the really sort of infectious nature of the groove. The song was played live heavily through 1981, 82, 83, and then dropped from the set completely, never to return, which is crazy. There are a couple of fantastic live versions of this song, including on the live anthology, and the band would put false endings in a couple of places during the outro. I'll add a link uh, in the episode notes to one of my favourite live versions of the song where you can see Tom and Mike exchange a glance and Mike just breaks out into the hugest grin. It's so much fun watching people enjoy playing music live. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. A Thing About You is a really solid rock and roll song with a great two-part guitar and a solid vocal performance. The rhythm section is interesting and the keys are solid and overall, it's far more than the sum of its parts. Again, it's a song I don't have on regular rotation, but it's one that I enjoy listening to as part of the album. But I'm going to drop it down to the lowest rated song on the album for me, which gives away the ratings for the last three songs, but... Given what they are, I don't think that will be a huge surprise. So I think About You is a 6 out of 10 for me. It's a really fun song with some good performances, but it's the Heartbreakers doing what they could do in their sleep. The live versions will be a 7 or an 8, as most of the live work would be, but the studio recording is, in my opinion, the least engaging track on the album overall. And it's still a banger. Uh, please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means. As always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I'll continue to do that. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can find me on YouTube. Just search for The Tom Petty Project. And you might find a band, uh, a cover band called The Tom Petty Project, so check them out too. That's fine. Uh, go follow like subscribe is applicable and again please leave a review if you haven't done already keep talking to me on social media really i mean i name checked a few of you in the intro to this episode and i'm loving the sort of the engagement it's the best thing about doing this is this community that i've found of tom petty fans who love tom's music and are just great people uh, so keep talking to me um, and i'll talk i'll talk back at you when i can um the Tom Petty Project, again, is not affiliated with the Tom Petty estate in any way. So if you're looking for Tom's music, go visit the official YouTube channel or go to official streaming platforms or go buy Tom's music, go buy media, buy albums, buy CDs, buy tapes, I don't know, buy cassettes or buy eight tracks if you can find them. Um, and if you want an official merchandise, please go to TomPetty.com. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook. Um, they're great communities, and you'll find lots of like-minded individuals to talk to. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least, I mean at least, once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the best song that any band never released as a single, Insider. Bye-bye.